right thing, but God, you just want us to, to move in the areas that you've asked us to move. So God, do that work in us today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good worship today. Can you, get, can you feel the presence of the Lord here today? Awesome. You guys can be seated. It's great to be in the Lord's presence today, and it's my honor to introduce our guest speaker today, Pastor Mark Buckley. He founded a church over the hill from us, Living Streams. He did an amazing job. He built a great work over there and is moving forward, and uh, it's our honor to have our friend come and speak to us today. So Mark, come and share the word with us. Good morning, good morning. I want to thank Pastor Joe for giving me this opportunity. I've been looking forward to being with you all week. And um, I too want to just say that was a very refreshing worship time. Very refreshing. A real encounter with the Lord. So I'm going to talk to you today about a dream. An amazing dream that was dreamt by King Nebuchadnezzar several thousand years ago in the nation of Babylon, and it has repercussions for us today. It teaches a truth that needs to be deep in our soul. I was um, sleeping, I woke up around three in the morning a few nights ago, and um, I couldn't get back to sleep, and I started thinking, uh, I, I was at peace about everything. I thought, well, I'm preaching this Sunday, for the fountain, and uh, I've got the message ready to go. And then I, I felt like the Lord said, Mark, if this was the last message you were going to give to them, if this was the one last word, would that be the word that I would have you give? And I thought, well, probably not. And so I changed to this dream. I, I don't know how often you have dreams that you remember. I've had some very profound dreams that have literally shaped my life where the Lord has spoken to me and given me direction. And then I've had some really weird dreams and lustful dreams and anger dreams and all kinds of, you know what I mean, and everything in between. Some of them I write down, some of them I tell people, some of them are just personal. Sometimes I ask the Lord's forgiveness for what I dream, and other times I try and be obedient to the prompting of the Spirit. Dreams are processing the challenges of life. Sort of like a, a computer. Um, w w in the old days, your computer would need to be defragmented. You remember that? Where you'd, you'd have to, to get everything sort of back in order in your computer so that it would function at the proper speed. We need to be able to sleep, sleep deeply, dream, and so that all the different emotions, all the different thoughts, all the different processes, all the neurotransmitters in our brain, all of the neurons and, and things throughout our body can settle down and, and be at peace. Um, I had a few uh, experiences in these last weeks that have really stuck with me. In November, I was at a little church in San Rafael, the original church that sent me out. I've only pastored in three churches in my life. One was in San Rafael, I was an assistant in Northern California, and then we were sent to plant a church in Novato, and I was in Novato from 1976 to 1984 before we moved here to Phoenix, and then uh, my wife and I and another family planted Living Streams. 
So the, the church in San Rafael, has, it, it was larger in the, back in the 70s, and now it's smaller. But it's had a very powerful impact. And when I was there, one of the things they were praying for was the drought. Um, you know, California, just like the southwest here in Arizona, has been in a very profound drought. Um, it was a historic drought. They had trees in their forests dying because of bark beetles because the trees aren't getting the kind of uh, saturation they need to fight off the infestations of beetles. When the trees die, then there's horrific forest fires and th hundreds of thousands of acres have been burned and, and, and farmers aren't able to plant their crops and almond trees are dying from lack of irrigation and on and on throughout California. So here's this little church praying intensely for rain, and sure enough, um, about a month later, rain started to come, and they didn't come just in a trickle. They started to come in torrents and in power, and day after day and week after week, I called my sister who lives above Lake Tahoe up by Donner Pass up on a mountain. She had 15 feet of snow fall around her house. They couldn't even get out of the house. They had to use snow plows. It was just a, a, a huge scene. And then, of course, the news, which was saying horrific drought, horrific drought, is now saying horrible floods, horrible floods. You know, it's always bad news. Um, but I look at it as an answer to prayer and as, as God saying, hey, when you can believe, when I put something on your heart and you believe and you intercede, I can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you ask or imagine, you just have to trust. And, and whenever God pours out his spirit, it isn't always just a wonderful thing. I lived through the Jesus movement. The Jesus movement was messy. I was messy. I got saved out of a background of immorality and drugs and a lot of things I shouldn't have been doing. And so did thousands and thousands of other people. And we started these movements and we were doing evangelism and we were building churches. But when you have immature people that are building churches, sometimes those churches have all the problems that a dysfunctional family would have, where some people don't like each other, some people aren't responsible, some people are, are falling and stumbling and backsliding, and all in the midst of a move of God and a revival. I've been preaching down in Ecuador for the last 10 or 12 years, sometimes once or twice a year, and they're having an incredible move of the Spirit. And, and literally thousands and thousands of people are coming to know Jesus, and that's just one place, God's doing things like that all over, but it's one place I'm very familiar with. But in the midst of this great outpouring in the spirit they're having, there's all kinds of leadership struggles and personal problems because people have problems. There's, there's problems in the church, there's problems in every family. I'm one of eight kids. In my family, there's always an issue going on. I'm going to go back there next week and have a family meeting and some of the the sisters are mad at one of my brothers who left his wife of over 40 years, and one of my other brothers who left his wife is cheering him on. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's messy. It's messy. But we all love each other. And they should know better because they've accepted Jesus. But sometimes people who accept Jesus don't know better, don't act responsible, and they need some correction. And that's why the Lord disciplines everybody that he loves, each and every one of us. So anyway, the, the story, the setting for this story that we're going to get into is that the people of God, 
the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, the ones that God promised he was going to bless them, bless those who blessed them. They were going to have uh, descendants more than the stars of the sky. He was going to shower them with blessings they couldn't even contain. And uh, now they're in captivity. Now they're in bondage. Daniel is a slave in Babylon. The Babylonians have taken over Israel. They destroyed the temple. They carried away all the treasures to Babylon. And when they're in Babylon, um, they have a choice. You know, you can either sort of fight against this spiritual oppression um, or you can say, okay, Lord, here I am. How can you use me right here? You can either believe that when things are going against you in culture, that this is the end. It's just going to get darker and darker until the lights go out. Or you can believe that we have a mighty, powerful God who makes incredible promises of the triumph of his kingdom. And he can do things in ways we don't even understand as long as we continue to trust him and obey him regardless of the circumstances that we're going through. Um, I'm, I'm a football fan. I talked a little football with one of the guys today here um, last week, Jacksonville Jaguars. Anybody see that game? They got down 27 to nothing. My son had said when it was 20 to nothing, hey, if the um, Chargers score again, let's change the channel. And then he just left, right? Well, Jacksonville, 27 to nothing in a playoff game, comes all the way back in the second half, and they win. And Trevor Lawrence, who is their quarterback, who loves the Lord, was being interviewed about his incredible comeback, third biggest comeback in NFL history in the playoffs. And they said, uh, well, Trevor, how did you guys go through it? How did, you, how did you manage not just to quit? And he said, well, we believed. We believed. And the coach believed, and, and, and we didn't quit, and we came back. Well, last night, they were playing Kansas City, and they got down, and they came back, and they got down, and then they lost. And he's still a believer, because sometimes believers who believe can go through defeats, can, can go through financial problems, can go through marriage challenges, can go through all kinds of other issues. And the question is, is it over then? Is it over if the political candidates we support lose? Is it over if the people we pray for don't seem to respond in the way we anticipated and, and hoped and trusted? Is it over? Or does God still have the, the winning cards in his hands? Does he have the power to accomplish his purpose on the earth? Okay. Um, Daniel chapter 2 in verse 1 says this. The title of this message is God Kingdoms, God's Kingdom Triumphs Overall. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was trouble and he could not sleep. He was dreaming, he was upset, he wanted to get back to sleep, he rolls over, but his mind is racing, he can't sleep. 
So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. You know, like, no problem. We're here to help. And the king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut in pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. So you got two options. You can interpret the dream correctly or you can die horrifically. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Let's pray. Father God, I ask that we will be able to learn from this historical example of the intervention that you gave when your servants cried out to you for mercy. And I ask, Lord God, that we would believe whether things are bright and sunny or whether they're dark and stormy, that we would believe in you, the eternal one whose kingdom triumphs over all. In Jesus' name, amen. So most of us, if we get really troubled, there's somebody we can talk to. This king summons the wise men, the enchanters, the astrologers, the guys that were into divination and guys that were doing a lot of things that the scripture says we shouldn't be doing. We shouldn't be trying to foretell the future by doing things called divination, which is a form of sorcery. And yet, that's what they were doing. This king had the power to bless him or to kill him. He had absolute power. Babylon was the preeminent empire in the whole modern world. There was nobody that could stand up to their army. Their king had absolute and total authority. And he decided to find out if these guys really knew what they were talking about. He put them in a crisis situation. Crisis is, tell me the dream. And they're like, sure, we'll be glad to. What was it? We'll interpret it. He goes, no, 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 no. You got to tell me what it was and interpret it. Otherwise, I'll, I'll never know if you're telling the truth or not. And they, and they go, basically, nobody could do that. Nobody knows what somebody else dreams unless you give us some heads up. And, and then we can do the interpretation. And he goes, well, that settles it. I'm going to have you all killed. And he literally issues an edict to have all of these guys killed. Now, because Daniel and his friends who we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were given some other names by the Babylonians as well, because they were under an edict of the king as well. Um, they had a different response. In verse 12 it says, This made the king so angry when they said they, didn't, they weren't able to do it, and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death, a true crisis. Now, I wish that we didn't ever have crises in our life. I don't, I don't like crises. I don't like financial crises. We were in a situation in our church one time where our bookkeeper said, after we bought this great big facility, uh, our, our bank accounts are emptied, our bills are due, 
and um, I'm not sure what we're supposed to do. And, and we had to go into crisis mode because we had never been late paying a bill in the history of our church. Uh, our family had always paid our bills on time, and now we had a crisis, and we had to pray. We literally introduced a season of fasting and prayer because of crises, where everybody in the church who was willing, to, we're not going to eat, we're just going to cry out to God. And the Lord came through, and he met our need. And now every year in January, the church has a season of fasting and prayer. Even the people that weren't in the original crises that triggered the original season of fasting and prayer, because my experience with families are almost every family once a year has a crisis. You know, something happens that, that rocks your, your heart. And, and fasting can be a means to seek God for mercy, which it was in this situation, or it can be a means of getting yourself in spiritual shape so you're hearing his voice, making wise decisions throughout the year, and you're prepared when the crises came. That's what Jesus was doing when he went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He was preparing himself for the pressures of ministry that he was going to be facing. So in verse 17, it says, Daniel returned to his house, explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Meshach, and Azariah, otherwise known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. The mystery is revealed to Daniel. The, the king's dream that he wouldn't share with anybody. Daniel doesn't have a dream himself, but in the night, because he wasn't able to sleep, he's crying out to God, God shows him. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever, wisdom and power are his. I'm going to look at a number of things that, the, that Daniel declares when the Lord gives him this vision. Because what he's declaring is spiritual truth. He's declaring things that can mold and shape our lives and have molded and shaped believers' lives since that time. Wisdom and power belong to God. And if there's anything we need in our lives, it is wisdom and it is power. We need wisdom to make right decisions. We need to know when to go forward and to when to wait, when to invest and when to pause. When, whether it's our time, whether it's our money, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in commitments, we need wisdom. The scripture says in Proverbs chapter 4 that wisdom is more valuable than gold. You got money, your, your money goes as far as the, those dollars last. When you have wisdom, you have something that never leaves you. It, it keeps you from making the foolish mistakes that take your money away. It helps you know where to direct your time and energy so that your life has fruitfulness. And we need power. Not just power to, to, to get up in the morning, power to do our job. We need power to communicate the gospel. Jesus said, wait and pray in Jerusalem and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The power of spiritual gifts allow us to penetrate people's heart when we speak the word, when we speak truth to them. 
We need power in the inner man. In the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul is praying for the disciples, and he says, I pray that the Lord will strengthen you with power in the inner man. It's in the inner man, inside us, that we deal with anxiety, that we deal with fear, that we deal with insecurity, that, that makes us either pull back or gives us the grace to step out. I was at a business recently, uh, and I was talking to one of the owners. And the owner was telling me that he was dealing with some anxiety and depression. This guy is very wealthy, very successful. But as we get older in life, no amount of money, no amount of acclaim from other people can give you peace in the inner man. He had issues in his life that no amount of money could solve. And what was interesting, this last week, I was back at that business again, and I'm talking with one of the low men on the totem pole. They have lots and lots of employees. This guy is probably one of the lowest paid of all. And I said to him, I said, well, how are you doing? I had given him one of these books I read, and he had read part of it, and so he's been real friendly and wanting to get to know me better. I said, how are you doing? And he goes, well, to, to be honest, I'm struggling. I, I, I've got anxiety. And, I, and he, started, he started to talk to me about the very same things the owner of the business had. Because conditions like anxiety, depression, uh, fear, those are conditions common to all people, regardless of your social status. And that's why Paul says, I'm praying that you will have power in the inner man. That's why Daniel said to God in the interpretation of this dream, he's like, Lord, wisdom and power belong to you. In verse 21, it says, He, God, changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. This, to me, this phrase has captured me these last years. He changes times and seasons. Now, I was raised in the 50s. And in the 50s, is like the Ozzie and Harriet days, right? And then the 50s went into the 60s, and then it was the rock and roll changed, and it became psychedelic, and people were using drugs, and, and the, the, the hippie thing began to manifest in San Francisco Bay Area, where I was. And then in the 70s, I got saved in 1970, the whole Jesus movement took off. And then in the 80s, we started planting more and more churches. Um, and, and I ended up moving to Phoenix. And then, as you know, every season, things change, right? Now, if you live in Phoenix, last time I was here, I think it was in August, July or August this last year, um, or maybe it was two years ago. I know my mind isn't quite as sharp as it was. But um, the last time I was here, it was really hot out. And when, when, when somebody first moves to the valley and they're, they're like here at the end of May and it's 100 degrees, and they're like, wow, it's really hot around here. What do you do? You just laugh, right? You laugh because you know there's a whole bunch of more levels of hot. But when you've lived here for a few years, and it's 112, then 115, do you think I'm about to die? 
No, no, you realize that when it gets to be about 115, 117, that the, what happens is the heat begins to draw moisture all the way from the Gulf of Mexico, and we start getting thunderstorms in the afternoons, and eventually we get some monsoon rains and winds, and it brings the temperature back down. It doesn't just keep getting hotter and hotter to 120, 130, 140, and we all die. Now, someday that will happen. You know, the scripture says that, um, that the earth will burn up, so. But, but not yet, right? Not yet. Sorry about this uh, sound thing here. Um, anyway, seasons change. We know when it gets cold, it's not gonna stay cold forever. We know that one era changes into another era, just like there's winter, spring, summer, and fall. We know that things change politically. It says here, he deposes kings and raises up others. And yet, for some reason, I find that a lot of believers get really shook up as the seasons change. They get really worried that things are just going to get worse and worse. And to me, that is a misinterpretation of Scripture, and I'll show you why through this dream interpretation in a few more verses. But there's, there's nothing to fear when seasons change. A lot of people thought the world was coming to the end in the 60s because people, young guys, were growing their hair long and wearing bell-bottom jeans and smoking marijuana and taking LSD. Now, was that a really dangerous time? Yeah, it was a really dangerous time. After I got saved, I needed deliverance. I needed demonic forces broken from my life. And so do it a whole bunch of other people. Now today, seasons are changing again. Marijuana's legal, and it's 10 times more powerful. You know what's going to result from a lot of people smoking that stuff and, and, and eating the brownies and little gummies with that stuff? It's going to create psychosis. It's going to create an openness to the demonic realm that will overcome them. Now, is that the end of society as we know it? No, it's not. Because believers have the power over the evil one. We're praying for a move of the Spirit. There was a move of the Spirit in the late 60s and 70s because a whole bunch of people who went crazy with sex, drugs, and rock and roll came out really depressed and confused, and they knew it, and they were open to the gospel. They needed deliverance. They needed inner healing. They needed their minds renewed by the Word of God. But it created a great opportunity, and we're going to have a great opportunity as well because we know the truth, and the truth sets people free. We have the answer that people are going to be desperate for when their marriages don't work, when their, their, their relationships don't work, when their finances don't work, because they thought that just getting stoned was going to make their life wonderful, and in reality, it takes hard work to make life work in a fallen world, doesn't it? Even for a believer, you've got to be responsible. You've got to show up on time. You've got to deliver what you promised to deliver, or you're not going to have any customers. You're not going to have any promotions. You're not going to have a business that functions properly. You're not going to have a family that functions unless you show up, unless you keep your word, unless you're faithful, unless you're responsible. And none of those things 
are enhanced by indulging in the debauchery of a society that is experimenting more and more with things that the Lord says are poison. So he will raise up kings and leaders, political leaders, presidents, governors, senators, and he will dispose them and then he'll raise up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. That's what he does. He gives wisdom to the wise. He, he makes us who we are. And when people are struggling, they turn to somebody whose life works. When they're struggling, they're looking to see if there's somebody who's got understanding, and that's you. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And as the light of the world, he said in John 8, those who follow me will not walk in darkness. They will have the light of life. In verse 22, he says, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. He knows, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows where your car keys are, where the remote went, says, all things are open and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. I, I, we were in a flag football league, our church in California years ago, and, and um, we were playing against this Gonzalez Hacienda team. They were, they were the champions of the league, and they had some college players on their team, and they had some really good athletes but they were also super profane. And, and I was on the sidelines during some plays, and I was listening to their team. One of their guys was just swearing. He was just cursing. And it really grieves me. I, I hate swearing and cursing. And so I literally felt like the Lord told me to, and I started walking down the sideline in front of their team. Most of their team was on the bench and stuff. This one big guy was up there ranting and cursing, and I just walked right along, didn't look at him, and I said, all things are open and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Hebrews 4.13. And then I walked back to my sideline. And they're like, what? What? What is he talking about? And what I was talking about is that our God sees it all. There is no thing that he doesn't understand. The mysteries he understands. The things that are in darkness he will bring to light. I remember when the, those four kids up in Idaho were killed horrifically a few months back. When somebody does something horrific, they're almost always caught because you get a whole bunch of people praying, Lord, you know who did it. You can reveal what needs to be revealed. I thank you and praise you, God of my ancestors. He says in verse 23, you have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we've asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. So he realizes what, it, what God does. He gives praise to God in a way that still speaks to us today. And then he goes to interpret the dream of the king. And it, it was a scary thing to go to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, 
who was just in some ways a tyrant. He, Nebuchadnezzar literally was in another chapter, so was driven away from the kingdom for seven years because he was so, so much of an egomaniac. So Daniel goes to the king, and in verse 29 starts to interpret the dream. He says, as your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what's going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partially of iron and partially of baked clay. And while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain, and it filled the whole earth. King Nebuchadnezzar couldn't sleep because he sees this immense, dazzling statue. Golden head, silver chest, bronze belly, iron legs, feet of iron and clay. And Daniel describes the dream to him. And Nebuchadnezzar now knows that Daniel's and Daniel's God has revealed what only he had known, what was going on in his mind. And then Daniel gives him an interpretation. And this is what he says. He says, this, this golden head, that's you. That's the Babylonian Empire. The silver chest. That's the Medo-Persian Empire, the one that will follow you. And then the, the, the bronze belly. The bronze belly is the Greek Empire that Alexander the Great was going to bring. And then following that was going to be the Roman Empire, the Iron Legs. And then following the Roman Empire... The, the nations of the earth would sort of be divided up and there would be a stone, a rock carved out of the mountain without a human hand. And this rock would smash the feet. And when the feet were smashed, this statue would crumble and it would continue to pulverize the statue. And then the wind would blow and the wind would blow all of the the particles of gold and silver and iron and bronze, they would be completely scattered. And that rock would grow and it would become a mountain filling the whole earth. And Daniel says this, your kingdom is going to end and the kingdom after you will end. They will all ultimately be crushed by the kingdom of the Lord Most High. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that will fill the whole earth and crush all the other kingdoms. He is giving a prophecy of the triumph of the kingdom of God, the ultimate triumph of the kingdom of God. 
There is no other kingdom that will endure forever. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Those who build their lives on the word of God are building their lives on an eternal truth, eternal kingdom that will never be destroyed. Can things go wrong? Yeah, things can go wrong. Can things go wrong in our society? Yeah, lots of things are going wrong in our society. I was in a prayer meeting the other night and one of the ladies got up to pray and she said, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us what we're watching on TV. We're watching corruption. We're watching stuff today that we would have considered pornography 25 years ago. And it's flooding the earth and it's forming the minds and hearts of many, many people. Lord, forgive us for, for losing that sense of the fear of you, which is the beginning of wisdom. So she prayed a beautiful prayer. And we acknowledge, yeah, Lord, we have. We've watched things. We, we've allowed ourselves to be polluted in, in very, very sad ways. But is that the end? No, it's not the end of civilization. We, we know that sometimes our government is making really, really bad choices. They're funding sex change operations, which are not helping anybody. They're, they're, they're contributing to the confusion of people rather than standing against confusion and against evil, which is a government's responsibility. But is that the end of civilization? No, it is not the end of civilization because the kingdom on which we base our lives, the kingdom of God, is the kingdom that will fill the whole earth. It says, the knowledge of the glory of God will fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. Sometimes it's only when things go wrong that people have their eyes open that they were pursuing something that is a dead end. And who will be around to tell them the truth? Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, will there be faith on the earth? I hope so. I hope there'll be faith that, that is not just based on our political leaders, that is not just based on our financial situation, that is not just based on whether or not our whole family just looks absolutely beautiful and wonderful because none of those things are possible in a fallen world. But what is possible is for people like us to know the God that Daniel knew. It is possible for people like us to seek the Lord in the midst of crises and get answers that give us wisdom and power to stand as a bright light. Now, it does not help when believers think that the world is just going to get darker and darker until Jesus comes. Let me ask you a question. You look back when I talked about the generations, the 50s, the Ozzie and Harriet years. If you were an African American living in the 50s, would you be better off then in the United States or today? Would you have more opportunities then or today? Is there more justice then or today? If, if you're a, a woman going to get a job, like my mom, my dad left my mom in the 60s. How many 
opportunities in the 60s were there for women who had eight children that she wanted to support to get paid on an equal basis for the same kind of work that a man would do in the 60s versus today. I mean, we look back with nostalgia on the past. But there are many ways. I was, I was hiking the other day with a guy whose daughter has Down syndrome. And you know what he said to me? He said, Mark, there are more opportunities for my daughter today than in any time in American history. Now, there's a lot of misguided stuff that happens in our government and with our tax monies and all the rest. But there's also some stuff that happens that really does increase the quality of life. And if you look at what I'm talking about from a worldwide perspective, if you go back 100 years ago, there was slavery in many places of the world. There's still some today, but not nearly like there was 100 years ago or 200 years ago when there was slavery even in the United States, even among families of, quote, believers. There was oppression. There, were, there weren't rights for children uh, that, that were working. Uh, there wasn't the educational system. There wasn't the medical system that we have today that, that provides us access to health care, whether we're rich or poor. I mean, we have a lot to gripe about, but there's also an influence of the kingdom of God worldwide. There are more people with access to nutrition today than there ever have been in the history of the world. Fewer people starving to death anywhere in the world than there ever has been in the history of the world. There's more sharing of resources in spite of all our problems. The kingdom of God that was carved in, in that vision out of the mountainside by God's hand as a stone is filling the earth. It is filling the earth. Now, are nations rising and falling in terms of economic might and military power and on and on? Are there? Yeah, 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 yeah. But believers can't stop believing just because of certain cultural or sociological issues in our society when the end is not yet been played out, even here. There's people praying for a great awakening, and simultaneously, there's all kinds of darkness going on. And you know what? That's been true. There was a, since throughout American history, there was a great awakening being prayed for and that happened during the time of John Wesley. And John Wesley came to visit the United States, and he got a revelation of truth that, that helped transform him. And you know what else went on in those days? An American Revolution went on. And in, in the 1800s, there was another guy praying for a great awakening. His name was Charles Finney. And there was a, hundreds of thousands of people saved through his ministry. And then we also had a civil war. Whenever there's a great move of God, there's also great adversarial conflict that happens. But that doesn't mean the world's coming to an end. It hasn't come to an end yet. And Jesus said, you don't know when it's going to come to an end. You don't know when I'm going to come back. But he will come back. Will he find faith on the earth? I sure hope so. Because many of us will be meeting him in the next 10 or 20 or 30 years, whether it's the end of the world or just the end of us, right? We will be meeting him. 
and we want to be faithful to the end. So whether you're in a football game and the score's gone against you, or whether you're a believer just trying to stay faithful, don't quit believing. And, and, and Trevor Lawrence and, and the Jacksonville Jaguars, they'll be back next year, and they'll be believing all over again because just because they lost in the second playoff game this year doesn't mean it's all over for them in the future either. You know what I mean? There are setbacks in life that mold us and shape us all. And as my dear friend Joe Garcia said one time, he said, don't ever think that a bad experience can't serve as a really good negative example. It can help somebody else learn. It can help them grow. Your pain can produce life in others if you continue to believe God. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the perseverance of the saints here. I thank you, Lord God, for the beautiful worship because your people have made their bodies living sacrifices holy and acceptable to you. I ask, Lord God, that there will be a washing and a cleansing from unbelief, from fear, from skepticism, that they would believe you for the future, for what you want to do here at the fountain, for the people you want to save, for the community that you want to transform. I ask, Lord God, that you would release all the grace that is necessary for this church to flourish. I ask, Lord God, that the spiritual gifts that are here in the hearts of your people, placed here by your spirit, that they would come alive, they would be fanned into flame, that there would not be a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind among your people. Thank you, Lord God, for this opportunity. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. The worship team's going to come up, and I, I want you just to pray. If there's anything that's been stirring around in your mind since I've been talking here, I want you just to talk to the Lord about it right now. And It might be good for you to talk to somebody else, too, and pray with somebody else. And if you want to pray with somebody else, there may be somebody right at your table that will pray with you for just a moment. There's something that's on your heart that you need to let go of. It's a good time to let go of it.
keep singing that. I just want you guys to stand to your feet. We're just going to join and sing this. If you need prayer, again, your, your table hosts are there. If you're praying with someone, take this time and just sit with him. Just ask him to lead, to give you wisdom. So we're just going to sing this together a couple of times. Just keep this attitude of prayer. Take me deep. 
with us, that you never call us where you are not, that you, you walk beside us, that you go before us and behind us, God. We just pray, Lord, that you would just do that. Father, that as we read your word, as we hear you speak, that you will help us to live out that word, that as we go from here, God, that you would go before us, that you would walk beside us that it would be your life that we would live. Jesus, we thank you for that this morning. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. If you still are, are in this attitude of prayer, if you're needing prayer, please talk to your table host. We're happy to pray with you. We're just going to play a, a couple more. You, you are dismissed to go uh, whenever you feel like it, but we're just going to keep in this attitude of prayer. Thank you.